Welcome back to another edition of The Yoke with Doke. In today's episode, Tom Doke and I discuss his latest edition of The Confidential Guide to Golf Courses. Volume 5, which covers Asia, Australia, and New Zealand, was released in November of 2018 and is available on renaissancegolf.com. We talk about how he builds trips for The Confidential Guide, his excursion through India, and the joy of finding hidden gems. Candid Doke doesn't pull any punches. How do I make natural looking contour? Hire the biggest fool in the village and tell him to make it flat. First overrated, underrated, rough. Terribly overrated over the years. You got uh, you got volume four of the confidential guide. Yes, oh, it's actually volume five. It's the fourth. Volume. It's the fourth book. Yeah, but volume. when I when I started, <laughs> I put on the back cover what volume one two. You know which areas were covered by volume one two three four five. Yeah, and as it turned out, the last couple of years, I've had business in New Zealand and Australia, and. And I was pretty busy in the summers at home and I had more time to travel and see things in the winters. And it was easier to go see things in the winter in Australia or places in Asia than it was to try to go do it in Northern Europe. You you know, if you got free time in February, you're not going to go see the courses in Scandinavia that you want to see. So, so I just, it was you know, it was easier to cover the courses in volume five before doing the book for Europe and Africa. So that's that's what hey, I've done. Sometimes the fifth hole gets built before the fourth hole. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what were some of your favorite experiences from from volume five's travels? Oh, you know, it's always going to the the really off the radar places that you know. I mean, there is not there's aside from you know i traveled a lot in australia and new zealand so i didn't travel too much more there specifically for the book i I went in and saw a couple courses that i hadn't seen but but you know i'd seen most of the really cool things i thought and then on top of that darius lives there and has seen nearly everything so it wasn't like i had to go see something so it would be in the book yeah um you know, the only ones I kind of went out of my way to see were a handful of little courses in New Zealand that my crew from Terra Edie went and played and said, you know, they they sort of picked out ones for me to go look at that were, were you know, little country courses that were way off the radar. And I saw there's a couple of really cool ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Asia, you know, there's very little to go by. I mean, there's, you know, the the rankings of what are the best courses in Asia are a corrupted by money and influence, you know, with with both the local golf magazines and the big worldwide rankings. So you can't really go from that. Um, you know, if you don't know somebody local who will recommend things, you're kind of you have no idea. They, and they'd spend 
you know, compared to the rest of the world, they spend next to nothing on marketing golf courses over there. You know, it's all most of, there's not a lot of golf tourism in Asia other than Thailand and Vietnam. And then the rest of the countries, it's all like business related. Yeah. So they don't have to publicize, you know, they just have to get the corporate guys to know, but they don't, they don't put it in the golf magazines. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Masa obviously has had Japan covered and I've, so I didn't travel a lot more there. I've seen some of the best courses in Japan. There's, there's some other ones that now that I've, now that I've seen his reviews, I want to go see, but I didn't try to go see them all. Um, I saw a little bit in Vietnam. Brian Curley took me around a couple of the projects that he's working on. You know, there's a couple of courses in the book that aren't open yet. They're about to open, but really cool and different. Um, but then I went, you know, I went places like I spent 10 days in South Korea. I spent two weeks in India and Sri Lanka. Um, that Himalayan golf course in Nepal, I think we've talked about before. That was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had going to see a golf course. Uh, you know, but we went, I went some really remote places on some pretty thin evidence that I was going to see something good. Mm-hmm. And there was some hit or miss in there. Some of them were like, eh, this was a long way to come for this. But there was at least some of them that were like, boy, this is really cool. And it is way different than what I would see in America or in Scotland. It's just they're dealing with entirely different things here. So the golf course is going to be different. I imagine it's uh, in a sense, you probably found some places that are almost more pure architecture. Yep. Like where the person that laid it out never has seen anything really else. Or nobody, you know, or or the architecture has kind of evolved and you can't really put a name on it at all. You know, it started, you know, whoever built, whoever did it originally was, was a major in the British army in 1890. And, you know, and the golf course has kind of evolved and expanded from that, but it's not really an architect that gets credit for. And it has to be, it has to be a much more practical thing. They don't have any money to to do stuff and they don't have much money to maintain them. So they have to make it work. Mm-hmm. And it, so it has to be much more practical instead of pie in the sky ideas of things to do. Um, you know, the first example I'm thinking of from this conversation is this place up in the mountains in India that we went. Um, one of the, one of the coolest parts of this experience is a lot of these places that I'm talking about, you know, I never would have been able to get around them and see anything at all, except that there's some young architect there who wanted to do nothing more than show me around a little bit and pick my brain for a few days while I went and saw some of the cool things in their, in his country. So I got to do that in a lot of Asian countries with, with Korean and Chinese and Indian golf course architects who you've never heard of because their work doesn't get any publicity outside of their own country. And, you know, they're, they're kind of like they're overlooked because they're familiar. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, it's weird. I mean, I, you know, but it had to be so valuable for them too. Oh yeah. It was a, it's the perfect trade. 
you know, mm-hmm. they get a little, they get to ask me questions about how we do what we do. Mm-hmm. And they ask me for feedback on this course that they're consulting on. And I get to see some things that I would never could ever find or get myself to otherwise. Did, uh, did any of them really like impress you? Were you like, wow. Oh, yeah. This- yeah, I guess they did. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one in India is a guy named Vijit Nandrajog. He's about late thirties, I think. Um, he's, uh, he's a really good player, you know, Typically they are, you know, most golf course architects are good players, but especially in a country that doesn't really have any golf course architects, who are they going to look to first? A good player. Yeah. It's like the start of the American golf course architect with Hugh Wilson. Old Tom Morris. (laughs) 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 Um, Yes. Yes. Generally that's true, but especially in a small country, that's the natural thing is. But, you know, Vidges, he's a very good player, but he's he's not, you know, he has his own little construction outfit, too. And he's really involved with building the golf courses and trying to help them figure out how to maintain the golf courses. Because it's not just like, oh, we can hire a good superintendent from another course here. (laughs) You know, they're really starved for that kind of information. Um, But, you know, so I I sent uh Keith Baxter, who runs that top 100 golf courses website. Yeah. When, you know, I put out on the internet that I was, I wanted to go to India and that I didn't really know too many people there. And Keith Baxter sent me an email and said, you know, if you need help, we've got this guy who helps us try to sort out what are the best courses in India, Vidget. And he, you know, he said, I've never met him, but he seems like a nice guy and he, he gets right back to us and answers questions for us and stuff. And I'm sure he'd love to meet you. So, so I wrote Vidget and he was like, whatever help you need, I'd be glad to help. And, you know, down to like arranging flights for us and arranging cars and drivers. Cause getting around India is a huge country. There's not a lot of infrastructure. There's 22 official languages. <laughs> it's very complicated place. And if you don't have some help, you'd never see some of you never get to Uda common in the mountains. You just, no way. <laughs> so that's why you haven't seen it written up. It's a really cool hilly golf course in the mountains. Um, there is no irrigation except hose bibs for the greens. And the climate up there is hit or miss, a lot of droughty periods. So there wasn't a whole lot of grass in the fairways. And, you know, Fairways are grazed. They only make, they only they only mow the greens and the approaches. Um, fairways were grazed by cows and sheep. There was gorse. Um, there were pine trees. It's very hilly. You know, I guess you could compare it to the Highlands of Scotland, mm-hmm. but it's not that open. You know, it's you don't see forever. You're at like 6,000 feet or 7,000 feet elevation. So the ball goes pretty far. And then it goes farther because when it lands, it's on a bare fairway with hardly any grass on it. But then a lot of them are also tilted. So it's hard to keep it in the fairway. If you, if you can't shape a shot, you know, if, if you could only hit a hook, there's three or four holes you'd have a hard time finishing or you'd be relying on your caddy to find the ball at the bottom edge where it rolls out. 
they actually they actually mark the fairways with like stones every once in a while because if you're in the fairway you can place you can clean and place the ball. Uh -huh. If you're not in the fairway, if you're not if you're outside the stones, no, you have to play it the way it lies. So uh, you know a purist would say, oh, lift clean and place in the fairways. That's bullshit. Yeah, it's the only practical thing to yeah. do there. And they don't play under USGA rules. <laughs> close. I mean, their general attitude is, you know, it's not easy to hit the ball in the fairways. Yeah. And and then if you don't, you have to play play it where it lies. And trust me, there's a lot of places you have to play it from that are a lot more severe than things that most Americans deal with. Yeah. But, you know, I was just charmed by the golf course. It helped, you know, my friend David Lee from China, who's, he traveled with me in South America years ago. He speaks about six languages and he can he's passable in a few more. So so he's a really handy person to have with you in a place where you just know, have no idea what you're going to run into. Um, and he was curious to see he's kind of semi retired and, you know, he's he's got time and he's curious to see different parts of the world. So he went with me and Vidget played with us part of the time. But when we went to Utakamund is, um, they have like the army officers training center up in the mountains in Utakamund. And so like half the golf courses in India are army golf courses. They're some of the few people that can afford to play and have some free time where they can play. You know, they're, they're mostly single. Yeah. So they got you know they got to find something else to keep them busy when they're not soldiering, and they have golf courses all over India. Most of uh, I didn't I only saw one of the military golf courses, but Utakamund, even though it's a you know it's an old club, it's 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 kind of a national club that's cost nothing to belong to, but what keeps it alive is that all these military guys that spend a summer up there at one time in their training, you know, pay their few bucks to keep it alive because it's a special place to them. And, and Vidget invited, so there are three of us. So Vidget invited a buddy of his to pl come play with us. And he was like the runner up in the Indian army championship the year before. And he's one of the best players I've ever seen. He made like seven birdies on a really hard golf course in really tough conditions. And, and it was just, a, we were playing a best ball match him, his Vidget and me against his buddy and David Lee and David and I had almost nothing, even with strokes, we had almost nothing to do with the match. Yeah. And yet it was a perfect match halved on the 18th hole. It's just <laughs> probably playing really, it's really hard to play there as an, as a foreigner. Cause of, it's just, a, it's all, it's a different style of the game. It's like you, yeah. you know, like it's like the mean, Americans that go play the Open Championship for the first time. Sure, they and struggle. I, you know, it, you know, and I'm pretty adaptable. Yeah. I've seen a lot of things, and you know, you know, I used to hit balls around in the dirt on my own courses, so I can play with sparse grass on the fairways. Mm -hmm. But the very, you know, the very first hole of Udi, I won't go crazy on describing the golf course. There's more about it in the book, but mm -hmm. the very first hole is a long par five. And so the, the, the little clubhouse is like across the street from the golf course and you hike back 
I'm sure the hole was shorter before, and now you hike back about 150 yards to the back tee and turn around and play past the clubhouse. Like, you could fan a drive into the clubhouse pretty easily. (laughs) And, you know, kind of down over the crest of a hill, and then once you get over the crest of the hill, the hole looks like the 10th hole at Augusta. Just screaming down a hill, except it doesn't come back up to the green. The green's just kind of down at the bottom. But it's that steep. It's like I've never seen a hole that I would compare to 10 at Augusta. That was that steep. And so I'd, I'd walk the golf course in the morning, and we were going to play in the afternoon. I went out and took pictures first thing in the morning. And when I was out taking pictures, I was like, I wonder if anybody could hit this in two. Because, you know, it's like 590, but you carry a crest, and then it goes screaming downhill. So if you're a long hitter, it's going to go a long way. And... I played it after lunch and I saw two guys hit the green and two and one of them make Eagle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, it's a little different. Um, but you know, and there was a course, there's five par threes there and all of, well, I think one was like 170 yards and four, the other four were like 215. All. Of them. And they're all tough. Not, not, not flat. Yeah. Not flat, you know, over a 40 foot deep gully and stuff. They were, there were some pretty extreme hard par three holes and you know at first you think why would they do that on this course but the reason they do that is because a lot of the other holes you're hitting a half wedge because you you get so much run on the drive that those are the only holes where you're going to hit a long shot into the green or the par threes everything else the ball just runs out forever Mm -hmm. unless you're going uphill there's a couple of those So people really started vacation a lot to like Thailand and and Southeast Asia. What's the best area for golf? Not Australia, not Japan, not New Zealand in Southeast Asia. Well, the one place I did not get to at all was Thailand. Mm-hmm. You know, Masa and Darius had both seen a fair number of courses there. And I just, I figured I had two viewpoints on them. So, yeah. I, you know. I was more interested in going, you know, yeah. Moss had seen a few courses in India, but nobody had been to the other ones I went to. Yeah. So, or Sri Lanka. So, so I gravitated toward that and away from Thailand and Thailand's like, there's a lot of courses. You can sign up with one tour company and they'll handle all your tea times and all your golf reservations and all your hotel reservations. And, it, you know, it's not like Myrtle beach that because they're, they're not all the courses are, it's not just one area. Yeah. But even so, it's like handled and they have the infrastructure to do it. And it's really easy to take a trip there for a week as opposed to, I guarantee you, no one ever does the same itinerary that David Lee and I did in India. (laughs) Even Vidya, the first time he saw it was just like, oh, my God, are you serious? (laughs) When you you, so uh, I kind of feel this way when I, I go see a lot of random places around now, like, you know find myself in rural areas of Wisconsin driving to see a nine hole course because I remember playing it as a kid and I remember there being some cool stuff but like or areas of Pennsylvania but there's a certain feeling like you know playing one of the best courses in the world is is one elation it's like a, a unbelievable experience but to me there's something that's almost more of a elixir of playing a golf course that nobody knows is great. 
or cool yes for like a very modest sum of money yeah or modest sum or not just yeah. just feeling like you've discovered something that nobody else knows about is yeah. really cool and obviously i've had that experience a ton over like ever since i went to britain you know well crystal downs when i was still in college i went to crystal downs only reason I went to Crystal Downs was that I saw Mackenzie's name attached to it. Ron Witten and Cornish's book on who did what had just come out. Somebody just borrowed that. And, you know, there was a list of Mackenzie courses and Mackenzie courses in the United States were the five or six in California and Augusta and he redid Palmetto and a course in New York that no longer exists and Crystal Downs. Uh, and, the, and U of M in Ohio State. Crystal Down. I'm like, what's that? I've never heard of that at all. I mean, I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. It was it, it, it had never been mentioned in a golf magazine, I promise. Um, and I just thought, well, I want to go up there. I want to go up there and see see some golf courses. I, I should go check that out. That's That's like my destination now to go see that. And then when I went to Britain... You know, I spent a bunch of time researching where to go. And then on top of that, you know, as I was going, because I had, I didn't have to have an itinerary. I wasn't coming home to a wife and kids. So, you know, I could ask everywhere I was, what else did I see while I'm around here? Mm-hmm. You know, what's got a, you know, what course has like one really cool hole? Even if the rest of the course sucks, there's just one hole I should see. That's why I saw that. So I went to see 170 golf courses and, you know, so in the, in the, I went over in the summer, it was summer to summer. I was there and I was up in Scotland first and, um, and then kind of worked my way down and got to around London and like first of November say, and I went, I, I had met the guys who ran Golf World, the UK Golf World, which is owned by Golf Digest. And when I got to their office that fall, you know, I'd been taking pictures the whole time. So I had my slides and I showed them pictures of all the little courses I'd seen in Scotland. And, you know, they'd never seen a picture of Cruden Bay before or Macrahanish or boat of garden or you know i mean a bunch of little ones that that i could keep on naming um and they were just blown away they just they were blown away that there was way more up there than they thought and they wound up doing doing like half an issue about it that used about 30 of my pictures (laughs) to publicize more of those golf courses um but Um, so, you know, I've gotten to discover a lot of things that, that were sort of off the radar just because I'm a curious person and it is a rush to do it and just see a great golf hole in the raw for the first time. Just like it is when you're designing a golf course and you're out on a raw piece of land and you get to a future tee and go, wow, there's a golf hole right there. (laughs) Um, it's, that's, it's the exact same feeling. Yeah, it's, uh, I wish more people would do more exploring and not just you know, hey, this this course is a hundred dollars, it must be good, right? It's and I, you know, and I suppose uh, I, 
I feel better that you said it the way you did to think that there is still a lot out there because because sometimes I get the impression that it's pretty hard to find anything new anymore. Um, you know, there's so much more bandwidth. You know, I, I mean, I really wrestle with it for the promotion of new golf courses. It's like, please don't show a picture of every single hole the day before the place opens. Because then you, 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 most people don't have this, this reaction to it. But for me personally, you're kind of wrecking it. You know, I won't get that thrill of seeing it for the first time if I've already seen a hundred pictures of it. Yeah. So just, you know, the, the one that I was the most adamant about, you know, it's, you can kind of do it with golf courses because if you're trying to take promotional pictures of them, of a new golf course, one, you know, to be ready for the opening, so you've taken the pictures two or three months before and there's the first few holes that were built, they're looking pure. The last few holes that were built are still kind of looking rough around the edges so they don't use pictures of those. So if you can just do that and keep this part of the golf course, don't put those pictures out for a while. Mm -hmm. That's enough. You know, in the case of Barnboogle, those last few holes were on the front nine. So nobody had ever seen a picture of number four before they got there. And that, I think that's a huge part of why people like it so much. It's just, it's such an awesome looking thing to see for the first time. And you didn't really expect it because you'd never see it. You know, it's like when you look at it, you think, why haven't I seen a picture of that? That's so dramatic and it's so easy to take a picture of. Why wouldn't I have seen that? And it just, you know, we kind of fell into it by accident, but it's, it's pretty good marketing strategy is don't show them that. Yes. Yeah, As opposed to the, the old thing of the signature hall where we're just going to, we're just going to pound you with pictures of our best hole until you're sick of it. <laughs> and it's always, it, a lot of times now the signature hall has morphed into like maybe the hole that you shouldn't show anybody. <laughs> it's uh the culture we live in now with social media is like that's it's the death of surprise of of golf courses yeah <laughs> might be the death of surprise yeah <laughs> Just period exactly like there's no it's 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 funny that's i i went to this one course because of this one hole but then i i played it when i was a kid and i just got this have you heard of the eagle springs place no. in wisconsin no it's a nine hole course fifth generation family ownership and it's twelve dollars to play it's like maybe 40 minutes from lake geneva but uh i go it's you know it was built in 1895 and then it was rebuilt in the 20s and i go there because like i remember the volcano hole they have the second hole that's got one of the most unbelievable volcano holes in the world okay and then but then i'm playing the first hole and you're teeing off down in a 40 foot like pit up over this giant ridge and the first green's like a punch bowl green with like this giant landform running right into the green and i was like oh my god i don't remember this hole and right. then you get you move on the third holes got changed but then the fourth hole is unbelievable but it was like you know i knew the second hole was coming but i just had forgotten how cool so many of the other holes were because nobody ever has right. gone to put to cover eagle springs golf right. course a nine holer in wisconsin and i i think about yeah it and it's i mean that's that's true of great golf courses i mean you know 
I mean, I'm on my mission now for the books to go around and see all the odd places that I've always wanted to see and that I might never go to if I don't go to them pretty soon. Yeah. And, but, you know, before that, you know, once I'd seen a lot of, you know, all the top hundred courses that I wanted to see, not, you know, I have not seen a hundred of them, yeah. seen 90 something of them, but there's a few that I don't I, I think I know what to expect and I don't yeah. really care if I go or not. Um, so, you know, my interests are more obscure now, but, um, you know, so I, you know, what I, what I would do a lot is go back to the national mm -hmm. and go back to St. Andrews and go back to Pinehurst. And usually with one of my young associates or an intern or somebody like I, you know, a little, I, I mean, I wouldn't have been to Yale in the last 30 years, except for I took Riley Johns there when he was working for me. I played with Riley and he was telling me about that. Yeah. We just, we, you know, we just spent four days seeing the little places in Rhode Island that I'd always heard about that I'd never gone to see. And we went and I went back through Whitensville and Wanamoisa. I think we went to Wanamoisa and, and Yale on the, on the way back to New York before we flew out. But otherwise I wouldn't see some places like that. And, but you know, just like what you're talking about, like you know, the national is a bad example. I know that place like the back of my hand, I've been there a ton, but you know, even crystal downs for, for most people. I mean, when you go back to crystal downs, like the third or fourth time, you know, you remember the eighth hole and you remember the seventh hole and you remember the fifth hole, but the fourth, maybe the fourth or fifth time is when you get on the 15th hole and you're like, Jesus, this is really good. I don't know. Nobody talks about this hole, but this is really neat. If this was on my home course, this would be the best hole. Okay. And it's like completely overlooked at a great golf course. And that's the really great courses. That's true of most of them. You know, there might be one or two holes that aren't that great, but, but, you know, there is a ton of holes at the national. It would be the best hole on in the, in another state. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I find myself saying like when it, you play a really great course, like I just feel like all around I'm like, God, that was a really great green. You know, that was a really great hole. <laughs> this is a cool green. You know, like, That's like all you're saying uh, all the way around. You're, uh, one other book you're working on is a routing book. And I'm, I'm kind of curious, what's a book that you would never attempt to write that you would love to read? Hmm. The answer might wind up being a routing book because <laughs> it's so hard to do, you know, it's so hard to put into words, um, you know, and we, it's hard to write because it's hard to put into words and you really, you know, you really need to let the maps do more of the talking, but you don't have much faith that the, the people you're, doing the book for can read the map that well and understand it. So the, that's what we're wrestling with trying to get a few chapters written is like, you know, do the maps come first and the text follows or does the text come first and then you have maps and photos to try to support that or how do we, you know, 
what do we let lead the story? And it's, you know, I think it's more graphics than I'm used to working with. So it's harder for me, you know, it's like you, we need to put all the graphics together before I can write about it. But how can we do that unless unless we know exactly what I want to illustrate? <laughs> and it's we've really wrestled with it. I mean, it's Sarah Mess, who used to work for me, um, she's a teacher now, and it's like her summer project. She she works on a little bit in the in the school year, but then all summer she's she worked on it all last summer. You know, we're at least one more summer of work away from having a book and probably two the way things are going because I'm going to be busy. But, um, you know, and I still I mean, part of what motivated me to do it. I mean, I figured out years ago, the only way you're going to do is case studies. You can't talk about it in general terms. You have to talk about it in terms of this is how this golf course got to be this way. And, And that's, you know, nobody's even done that for like one golf course, you know. Why is the third hole there instead of somewhere else? Why didn't why didn't you turn that into a short par four instead? Um, you know, there's reasons for all those decisions, but most architects never explain it in those terms. And then, you know, so people don't. That's what when when people that think they understand architecture are out you know, seeing a golf course for the first time and critiquing it, you know, they're like, well, you know, why didn't you move this green over there? That just fits their eye better, you know, but they, they only ever talk about one change and every single thing that you do involves at least two holes. Yeah. If that green's over there, then the the next T probably isn't going to be in exactly the same spot. And, and maybe everything else shifts with it. So, you know, trying to understand how those things shift around is, you know, the goal of working on the book. And then, but the other goal is since it, since it's going to be case studies and since the courses I know best and I I can say, you know, on a McKenzie course, I can tell you why I think he put holes at Royal Melbourne the way he did. But on my courses, I can tell you why I did it. So I, I'm using my own courses and, you know, you know, I want to do a book that explains my own courses. It's like I look at a lot of courses and I'll find these triangles, but then like, is it actually a try? Like, was that a theory of right. the architect or right. did it just happen that way? That's right. <laughs> you know, So it's like, there's no way to, to figure it out unless the architect specifically implicitly wrote about the routing, but nobody really they did because the newspaper articles, they weren't going to go into that depth. No, no. You know, if it, I mean, there's some, there's some phenomenal research done on, you know, you can find almost any old newspaper clipping from hundreds of old newspapers if you know where to dig. And there's guys that they don't make a living doing it, but they they make some freelance money and they just and it's their it's their hobby doing that. There's three or four of them on Golf Club Atlas. And if you ask them to find out something about an old course, they'll dig it up. But you know, but a lot of the newspaper stories they dig up are pretty wanting in terms of details. It's just like, it's, you know, like we tried to find some information out for Wileye in Hawaii and we found a bunch of old articles, 
but it was all exactly the same boilerplate stuff about, you know, this hole is based on a green at North Berwick in Scotland. <laughs> so that's like, that's not telling me what I need to know about that particular Dan hole and how I'm going to build it again. But that, that was all the newspaper reader was going to register or. It's like a, it was like a boiler, um, um, uh, outdated boilerplate press release. And that'll do it for the latest episode of the yoke with Doke. Thanks for listening as always, and check back in later this week for our next episode of the Fried Egg Podcast.